Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Thanks for joining us again for part two of Jamie Munro from Meraki Minds talk and conversation around mental health and mental health awareness. We really hope you are getting the benefits out of listening to this conversation. And if you do need any help at the current time, please reach out to myself, Jamie, or any of the great service, great services that are available at this current time. Everyone is waiting for the phone calls and really ready to help at this current time. If you please subscribe, hit the link, follow myself on Facebook at Power Strength and Vulnerability or on Instagram, Shane underscore Kelton underscore PSV or jump on the website, Power Strength and Vulnerability. Every little bit of sharing helps spread the awareness and gets the message out. So thank you again to Jamie and I hope you enjoy this episode. I've spoken to three or four people, clients, prospective clients um, who have all called for a family member and said, would that this be a beneficial for them? And I'm like, well, yes, but if they don't want to do it, then no. If they don't, exactly. I love this Grace. Someone doesn't think they have a problem, they don't have a problem. Exactly. So, yeah, and that's where, as when it's family, it becomes, becomes really tough and that's that's probably the hardest thing I've found is telling someone you actually can't help them because they are just no. they're closed off and that's that's the reality but it's it's not it's never a fun conversation because you know you, you feel it you understand it you've got everyone's got family or friends they love so but it's yeah it's true it's the reality of the situation so um yeah absolutely let's shift back to you um it's so mm-hmm. much so helpful gold in there for someone to listen to but <laughs> what what happens next for you in your life? So past past uni, um, or so I'm still still in uni. I think that the most important, um, I suppose the let's call it. I don't like to call it um, particularly rock bottom. Um, I've had a conversation with Matt um, before about this about the use of the word rock bottom, and he said yes, it was, but. It's the founder, it's the foundations that you used and the platform that you built to bounce yourself back. And I think that that's really important to note because it really was. And whilst my life didn't get perfect from there very quickly, um, it's certainly very positive and um, I'm, I'm very much in um, a really great place and I'm certainly well um, today and, and living and thriving. Yeah. So I think that's really important to note um but essentially through um uni it was just this cycle as i was saying before and um the the boyfriend that i was telling you about earlier that helped me get help um we had a pretty nasty breakup so that was um one factor which it's absolutely not his fault in the slightest in the decisions that i that i made um but of course there are always contributing factors so that was one of the contributing factors i had a a friendship a friendship breakdown i'd had a number of those throughout um the previous years just due to my um ever-changing mental health um coping instead of managing yeah my coping um I, i was not um, unfortunately not the easiest person to be around, but also I had, um, kind of pushed, pushed the closest people to me away. And I was, we lived in a world where if you got pushed, you know, if someone pushed you away, we just accepted that there wasn't any support or, 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 um, information like there is now about if someone's pulling back from you, um, there wasn't that when we were growing up. So, um, I essentially just pushed everyone away and they let me they let me go, which is absolutely not their fault at all. Um, but I had put myself in a position where I felt like, and it's important to know, I felt like I had no one. Um, I was constantly fighting with my family. I had just broken up um, with my boyfriend. I had had a really close friendship breakdown um, and it it basically just, it all got too much for me. So um, one night or one morning, I should say, I decided that the pain was just too much. I had this 
it was a physical pain and I, I, I know that you have been in this situation before, Shane, and, and to, whoever, to whoever's listening, um, if you've gone through this, then I'm so sorry um, to talk about this or if I've triggered you in any way, just a bit of a warning, but the physical pain that I was feeling because I could not cope with my emotional pain got too much and too overbearing and I did want to die and I had been wanting to die for a long time probably a couple of years um, and I had made a very close attempt before but my mum had talked me down um, and so I ended up, it just, it all got too much. I got too overwhelmed and I tried to kill myself. How did that, you found yourself in hospital then? My sister found me throwing up on the bathroom floor um and she took me to hospital um i don't remember a lot from that time as i'm sure you can imagine um and i do remember sitting in the emergency department um with the psych nurse asking me all these questions the checklist they have to go through and one of the questions on that checklist was um do you regret it yeah i remember i actually remember that question clear as day do you regret it and i said no i said the only thing that i regret is that it didn't work and i have listened to so many different um mental health advocates and in particular one of my favorites is kevin hines um the american man who jumped off the golden gate oh, bridge and survived yes, i love that story when he was 19 he the one that had the movie very close personal friend yeah he has the movie yeah suicide ripple effect he's a close personal friend of match so that's how i came across him and um he said as soon as his hands left the rail it was instant regret yeah. and for me that wasn't the case i was just mad at myself that I had failed. What's well, that good? You, I just kept saying it's you, that. You're the good girl act um, in terms of it's the opposite side of the spectrum. You weren't even good. Like you wanted to be good at the and the best at that. You you didn't succeed. So that is that mindset. Exactly right. But it's so warped how it's on such an extreme. But it's the same mindset that's off, taken you there. Exactly right. And I, I just want to pause for a moment because I think it's really important to acknowledge the language that we're using here because I, I really think, I, and I, in my experience and in my learning um, over the years, that those two words, success and fail, um, and it's something that, that people still say to me they, still to this day, I'm so glad you failed at that. And it's like, well, it wasn't a... A successful attempt at suicide, I've heard someone say this before and I, can't, I wish I could remember again who said it, but a successful attempt at suicide is just suicide. Yeah, yeah. A failed attempt at suicide is an attempted yes. suicide. That's it. If you have you, if you have suicided, you haven't committed suicide because you haven't committed a crime. You have died by suicide or killed yourself. And I, I think that that's really important to know. And I just want to harp on that for a second because suicide is not, well, it's not the answer. It is not a negative or it's not a bad thing. It's not that person's fault. It's a symptom. They haven't committed a crime. It's a, it's a symptom for everything that's going exactly on. Right. It's, exactly. And it's, right. But it's, a, it's seen as such a negative symptom. And for, I, I, I understand that. I understand where that's coming from as well. So we both do. Um, but, yes, terminology behind it is so important. And I slip into the to the role, the, the, the wrong words time and time as well. So um, yeah. we all we – all, Me too. Me yeah, too. and that's why I think it's really, really good to pause during these card conversations with friends and family and say, look, maybe if we tried this and then next time they might go, so, uh oh, I'm going to pull myself back here. I'm not going to say that word and go with that. And that's just all part of the learnings and education and awareness around this. That was the first thing I learned Absolutely. as a speaker is not to say the word committed. I'd, I'd said it my whole life until 25. And then when they explained it and 
I've got the education. It was like, okay. It didn't mean I was a bad person for 25 years for using that word. It was just that was all I knew. So. It was there. And it's society as well. You know, it's it's very prevalent these days in, you know, saying like when we were growing up saying that's gay, like as in that's shit or that's annoying or that is not the appropriate term to use because that is offensive to members of that community and you don't it's not something that you mean or some some negative way but until we start to recognize and understand and learn about the language that we're using the stigma will always be there yeah if we're going to continue to use that as a society if we're going to continue to use that language the stigma will stick yeah exactly right i think that's important to note so um yeah, anyway, back to the, the <laughs> sequence of events. Um, I So I woke up in next in um, the general ward, I suppose, in a room, and that was when it hit me. I woke up, and I still remember it to this day, and it still affects me. Um, I woke up to about 10 or 11 of my family and friends surrounding me and I was very very groggy and very very much in and out of consciousness but I remember waking up and just seeing their faces and the look of grief and the look of guilt on their faces why didn't I know about this why didn't I do anything about this but they didn't know that I I hadn't told anyone. My parents were in Peru, uncontactable. So they didn't know that anything had even happened until after I'd gotten out of hospital. Yeah. I'd I'd like to stop you. And for any family members out there that have been in similar situations, whether the person has suicided or whether they are still alive and that was their thought process. What What's your advice on that to the family and friends who feel that those questions, they're asking themselves those questions because we all do it and I'm, I've been in this space for so long and there was two success, uh, two, sorry, two suicides last year where I started asking myself those questions as well. But I'm in the space and I, so I was able to pull mm-hmm. myself, what advice would you give to those people? Number one is it's not your fault. Just like if that person was a murderer or just like if that person had broken their arm or had a a diabetic attack or something like that, like from low insulin or whatever, the circumstances surrounding that situation is not anybody's fault. The decision that I made, the decision that those people make is their own. There's a reason behind it. There always is. As I said before, it was for me, I I just, I'd gotten past the point of coping. I I couldn't get there. Um, So it was, it, it wasn't that I necessarily wanted to die. It was that I just wanted the pain to stop. And you'll hear that time and time again, I'm sure, with a number of people who have attempted suicide or who have wanted to get to that point is that they just want the pain to stop. Yeah, that's that's the and question that I so ask. Prevalent. That's the question I ask is do you want to die or do you just want the pain to end? And the answer is I want the pain to end. Um, yeah, exactly right. So that's first and foremost whoever is listening to this who is going through who has a loved one going through this um first and foremost you need to know that it's got nothing to do with you it's got nothing to do with any decision you have made leading up to this point it has not got to do with anything you have ever said to them or anything like that that was their decision that they made for reasons of their own accord The second thing that's really important to know, if they have made a suicide attempt and they're either in hospital or at home, however it is, 
like we were saying before, you don't have to fix it. There's no way that you can fix it. All you need to do is be there for them, check on them, and create space for them if they want to yeah. talk. Well, we aren't as humans magic pills. No. We cannot just fix people, unfortunately. Exactly right. Well, not even a magic pill. Yeah. Then. There Isn't is no it? magic pill. If there was, we'd all have them. If there was, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Well, we, You'd be out of a job. Oh, I'd be, um, yeah, I don't know what I'd be doing, to be honest, at the moment. Nothing because COVID, but we'd have a magic pill for COVID as well. So, um. exactly right, exactly right. So, yeah, I, creating space, listening, and and you're never going to be able to control people's emotions. So, re- regardless of what I say, if someone has a loved one who has um, made a suicide attempt or who has died by suicide, the grief and the sense of guilt the sense of what could have I done better, that's that's yeah. an instinct. It's an, an automatic thing. You're always going to think that. Um, but just know in a logical sense that it is not your fault um, and if they have made an attempt and they are still alive, then just be there for them because you have no idea how powerful that is to just sit and be. So it's a very hard thing to do. People, it sounds it sounds yeah. so easy, and that's why people will be listening, going, "Oh, it's." A, but if you if they actually think it to themselves, do I actually do that? Your answer is probably not enough, mm-hmm. or or no, um, yeah, because it is it is an extremely difficult thing to do because of that needing answers right now. Like I, I want to, like you're just trying to get get up to the top top of the mountain straight away, but sitting there and exactly. doing nothing is the best thing. Mm, exactly right and it's so powerful it's it's some of the people who have made the biggest impacts on my life have just sat there with me yeah that's it they've sat there with me and listened to me and that is just such something so simple can be that powerful and that is the i suppose that's the way of mental illness because we don't just sit and be mental health, I'm sorry, mental illness is more prevalent these days. So, yeah, so after that I, um, it was very much a roller coaster. I definitely, my rock bottom, I suppose you could call it, um, I did use that as a platform to try and get better and try and get well again. Um, I still didn't know a lot in this in the way of trying to get well or a wellness plan or a holistic wellness plan um again i went back to my little white pill my psychologist and exercise and that was all i knew um and then um i finished uni um and i note the word finished so I didn't actually, so I finished uni in 2013. I didn't graduate until 2018 because I could not deal with the thought of going back. And it wasn't until I had worked tirelessly on my mental wellness that I had worked through what I had been through through university uh, and that time in my life that I finally realised that the trigger was there for a reason. It was triggering me for a reason um, because I needed to work through what I had experienced through that time. Um, And it wasn't until I had worked through that that I was able to muster up the courage to actually call up the university and apply to graduate. So it took me five years um, to actually get my certificate. Um, And so I have two, I'm proud owner of two um, bachelor degrees that I so (laughs) I finished uni and jumped straight into a job in construction um that I had I've been working part-time through uni and I got a full-time job there um in 2013 just pretty much as straight as as soon as I finished uni 
Um, and I worked there for the next seven years or so. Um, not quite. I worked up uh, there up until two years ago. So um, a really long time. It was nearly 10 years in total. Um, but during that time, my mental health was up and down. Um, but I always came back to the thought of my family standing around me and the the feeling of uh, love and the feeling of support. And I had a conversation with my grandma recently and she said the first thing that I said when I woke up in that hospital room was I didn't realise how many people loved yeah. me. That was the first thing I said. I don't remember that. But that was the first thing that I said. So that has always stuck with yeah. me. Um, that feeling, even though I didn't remember what that I had said that, but that feeling had stuck with me that no matter how alone I feel or no matter how dark my mind gets, I am loved. And, and that image reminds me and, of that every And day. you're accepted for your struggles and the struggles that you will continue to have. They accepted you exactly. at probably one of the poorest times in your life mm. they they yep. could have not been there but yep. they were so exactly right. it's it's i think it's in as much as the love and the support great it's it's having that at those times when yeah. you're at the most vulnerable that someone sits there and because yeah. it's hard for them we we know how hard mm. that is for them um that's yeah. where we get guilty we're like we don't want you to be here like i'm not a big deal Go, go, go. But yeah. it, it's so, that's how we know it's hard, but it's that, un, it's unconditional love to a degree. Unless, yeah. you're, unless yeah, you're killing absolutely. them or murdering someone else, then that's, I'm sorry, but I yeah. don't love you then. Um, that's yeah. my condition. So. Yeah, but yeah. that's, yeah, so. That always got me through um, and then I essentially tried to throw myself into challenging my mind. So I I just constantly looked for the next thing to, um, to push my limits. Um, so I always thought of myself as um, not fat or anything like that, but I certainly had, um, as most girls do, a negative um, view of my body and my physical appearance. So I challenged that and I shaved my head, shaved all my hair off. So I had beautiful long brown hair and I shaved it all off. Um, full bold and raised money for charity um, with my sister. So that was one um, aspect of it. Um, whilst my hair was growing back, I um, decided that I would want to. I wanted to compete in a building a bodybuilding competition. So, if anyone has. Um, had anything to do with gym or even just been on Instagram because it's all over <laughs> Instagram. Um, you will have seen all of the the um, incredible like these women and men who do this are just absolutely phenomenal. The the dedication and the hard work and the commitment that it takes to um, to actually get up on stage is out of this world. But um, I wanted to really challenge that, and the most important thing was I wanted to get up on stage in a tiny bikini be judged purely on my physical appearance and at the end of the day get off the stage and know that I was good enough and tell myself that I was good enough. That was the challenge that I set myself Um, and I definitely achieved that. I think there has been some other effects that have happened along the way but in that moment and in that time um, when I got up on stage I was beside myself with confidence. I was so excited to get up there. I was not nervous. I was just so proud of myself of how hard I had worked Um, and knowing that I was getting up there to be judged purely on my physical appearance and, and being comfortable up there. I was, I was completely comfortable up there. I loved it. I, I loved it. So, um, and in between shaving my head and doing that bikini competition, I met you 
and I was asked by yourself and, and Todd to share my story, um, which I had only shared, you know, a couple on, on social media a couple of years beforehand. And so it's not something, I mean, public speaking is never something I've had an issue with. I've been, I've always been um, quite good at it. I suppose my dad is quite a good public speaker and um, a very confident speaker and I always felt a lot more comfortable in speaking um, to a a crowd full of people than I ever did in being vulnerable with a few, um, select a select few. So um, when you guys asked me to do that, I was very scared but I was also, I also knew that, that was another way to challenge myself and that was another way to challenge my mind was to go, I can stand up there in front of a few hundred people and acknowledge how I was feeling and what I had been through um, in the years prior, then that was a huge challenge to overcome. That was a huge feat for me to overcome and that was a huge step in the way of acceptance accepting myself, accepting who I am and accepting my mental illness for what it is so that I could work on it and I could work towards management rather than coping. So we did that, which was amazing. Um, And then not long after I came across Mindful Oz. So we've talked about um, Matt and Mindful Oz um, earlier, but um, Mindful Oz was my real my real stepping stone to, to wellness. Um, they, uh, I basically started using them to, um, all of Matt's, um, posts on Instagram and Facebook and that kind of thing to better myself. So I implemented the blueprint to wellness into my life. Um, and for those of you who don't know about the blueprint to wellness, essentially it's a number, it's like 26, I think different, um, uh, points, of wellness that you can take to basically help people to take wellness back into their own hands so they don't have to rely on other people. It can all be internal. So things like mindfulness, meditation, reflection, getting enough sleep, positive nutrition, positive exercise protocols, um, making sure you're being really proactive with your day. So one of the most important things is making your bed as soon as you get up, not only to um, feel like your routine is starting for the day, but also so you've got that sense of accomplishment as soon as you wake up. You've achieved something. You've gotten out of bed and you've made your bed. That is a tick off the list for the day. Um, And that gives you some positive um, energy and some endorphins and that kind of thing. So it's really, really important. If anyone is um, trying to get their mental health back on track and not knowing where to start, making your bed every day is the most important thing you can do. And it's so simple and so small. Yeah, it's so powerful. I'm guessing you I'm guessing um, you watched the Sergeant um, uh, TED Talk. Is a sergeant. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. says that, and he talks about making. Yeah, it's every single yeah, day. Yeah, I actually watched the full TED talk for the first time only a couple of weeks ago, and there's a lot more valid points in there apart from just that one. But that's such a, it is such a powerful thing. And when I first got it sent to me, I started making my bed, and that was the only thing I did good for the day. But I did something good each day. It was amazing. And when I slip into a bad habit. I make my bed. So when I'm going really well, I actually don't. But then to catapult mm. myself back up, I go, all right, you've got to make the bed today. Like I make that. It's And it's a really sure people are probably thinking, but why? Just just try it. Yeah, it's incredible. And so I, I learned about the powers of that, you know, in like three or four or five years ago through Mindful Oz. So it's really, it's an incredible thing. Um so I started implementing that and then I got a bit more involved with Mindful Oz. So I started volunteering for them um, and I started really cementing those positive um, those positive uh, actions and, and positive things into my life. So um, I was giving back to the community. I was helping other people. Volunteering for me was a really, really great way to um, 
put fill up my own cup. So I volunteered with homeless. Um, I went overseas and volunteered with animals. And and most importantly, and my biggest achievement is I volunteered at Mindful Oz. So um, I then went to speaking yep. with Mindful Oz. Um, so graduated, I suppose, <laughs> from volunteer to speaker. Um, and I will always be forever grateful to Matt and to Mindful Oz that they gave me that opportunity and that platform to speak because I got a taste for it in working with you and Todd um, and I really loved it, not only the um, sense of overwhelm and positivity that I felt but also the people that reached out to me afterwards saying I felt this way and, and you, you know, I really connected with you and connecting with those kind of with people who are struggling on that kind of deep and vulnerable level is a really beautiful and powerful thing um, and to be able to have the confidence I suppose to be vulnerable and to to show that it's okay to be vulnerable and for people to reciprocate and respond to that and go your story helped me that just fills up my cup to the brim like that just makes me feel so good and so warm and so loved and I love that um it's such a powerful thing so I was forever grateful and still to this day forever grateful that I get to represent Mindful Oz um, as a speaker and then actually went on to graduate and worked for them. So the first employee <laughs> as well. So I went from using their services to working for them um, in a matter of years. So I was very, very proud of that. Um, but all the while are still having this, you know, um, cyclical relationship with my mental health and mental illnesses so I um I got in touch with um Ryan Hassan from the Centre for Healing um and Mindful Oz was helping me every single day be able to put these positive management systems in place um, and then I wanted to deepen that level of healing and go that next step as we yeah. all do. Um, we were constantly trying to make ourselves better and, and more adept and, and heal deeper because that's really important. So, um, you know, I know for Matt, he started the Wim Hof breathing method and that kind of thing. He He's constantly learning new things. And I looked at him as my idol and role model. And I'm like, okay, well, if he's constantly learning and growing, how can I constantly learn and grow? Um, and at the time, my mental health had, had dipped. Yep. Um, so I reached out to Ryan. Um, and I had been on his podcast previously. Um, and so I reached out to him and I said, you know, I obviously know a little bit about what your, um, what the center for healing does, but I don't know a lot. And I think you guys could really help me. I'm struggling. Um, I need to deepen my healing. And so we sat down, um, and he talked me through their process. And this was, um, a couple of years ago, no, last year, um, so when they were still um, at their physical office space. Yeah. And, yeah, living it up in Thailand. Um, allowed know, to go to the beach oh and goodness. allowed to do what they want pretty much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, um, it's yeah, they're living the life and I'm just so inspired by them as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I reached out to him and I became a patient, an outpatient in his program, his mental health program, um, and that changed the course of my life again. So I was struggling with some stuff at work um, and I, whilst at the same time going through this um, this outpatient program and I had what I like to call an existential crisis. So anyone who's done a lot of shadow work or, or work with their negative emotions and deep healing will know what I'm talking about. Um, but, yeah, basically I, I just questioned everything. I questioned my purpose. I questioned whether I was down the right career path. I questioned my um, my place in the world. I questioned everything. So that sent me into a little bit of a tailspin and as they say, it got worse before it gets better. Um, So my mental health dipped again. Um, But it was, I was peeling back those layers 
Um, I was I was deepening my healing every single week that I was going there, and I came out the other end of it knowing that what I was doing was not essentially what I was born to do. Yeah. Yep. So I, ta- I essentially have taken the last year to figure that out. Um, I'm still in construction. I've had a couple of jobs since my my 10-year stint at my original job. Um, I'm still in construction, um, one, because it's safe and familiar, two, because I do really enjoy it, Um, and three, at the moment, um, because I – because of COVID and everything like that, I can't essentially be um, what what my absolute dream is. But four, and I think this is really, really – beautiful and I'm so grateful for it for I work for a company where my boss is one of my mum's closest friends um and she is the most beautiful supportive and kind person that I have ever met in my whole entire life and if I'm having an off day she's there she's there with ears willing to listen she is there with no answers just space for me and she's always reaching in. So that's why I've stayed there. Um, I mean, I've only been there for about five months, but even though I know that my calling in life, I suppose, is to help others, I love my job. So I don't want to give it up. Um, and so I think I'm going to figure out a way to balance them both. <laughs> One of those things, you know, I'll manifest a way to do it. But um yeah, so a year a year down the track after I went through um, the Centre for Healing program, I am now a qualified root cause therapist, as you would yes, know. Yes, I know, yeah. Um, yes, as you yes, are I too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I went from the way that they changed my life essentially is I realised, oh, I came to the realisation that I was put on this earth, let's call it, to help others. And I know that through my work that I did at Mindful Oz and I've never felt so complete or whole in working uh, for Mindful Oz and in volunteering for Mindful Oz. So I um, signed up to a Reiki course. And for those who don't know what Reiki is, essentially it's universe. The word Reiki means universal life energy. So it's all about energy healing and support of um support of a multitude of different um, illnesses, pain, mental health um, problems, all of that kind of stuff can be supported through Reiki. Um, Then fast forward six months and I came across the Centre for Healing's uh, course. So they said, okay, so I, I said to myself, I've done the course, I've been a patient, and now the universe has given me this opportunity to actually be a practitioner. So I jumped on it. First thing I was like, yeah, I have to do this. I have to have to do this. So I enrolled in the course and then uh, it took me a little while to figure out what I wanted to do with it. Um, But I have used COVID and I have used the past sort of eight months, so pretty much this year, to work tirelessly on myself um first and foremost using mindful as this blueprint to wellness um and then as well all of the things that i learned from the center for healing so i've got the the real the tangible the um hard evidence-backed um blueprint to wellness and well wellness plan and then i've got this also very real and very tangible but slightly alternative way of um, managing my mental well m- mental wellness in um, spiritual healing so it's very different because I grew up Catholic um, and and then grew up when I was a little bit older questioning God and yeah. and that kind of thing but I won't go into that <laughs> no, that's not um, be another podcast serious yeah <laughs> we don't have enough time um, but in all of the mental health research that I've done, knowing that there is something bigger than yourself is one of the most important and best ways to be able to combat mental yeah. illness. 
one of the a sense of belonging to a higher purpose that is huge and a lot of different mental health researchers say it and they all everyone has different opinions but that is a common mm. theme if you if you know that there is a greater purpose and you have a sense of belonging your mental health will be more positive essentially and studies show that i think that. that's really important to also mention that it doesn't have to be doing what you or I do, it can be being a mechanic or it can be a landscaper. It can be if that's where you see yourself in the pecking order, that is completely great Like because we need it. Like We need good gardens. That's great. Like I know like I was a landscaper, so that's – but when you walk away seeing a beautiful front yard, you just go, that's what they're going to come home to every day. It's, it's magnificent. Like So it doesn't have to be healing and fixing the world. It can be um, – the other no, stuff. absolutely. It could be part of a netball yeah. team. You could be, you could be part. Just bigger. You need to be, well, not need to be, being part of something greater than yourself. Whatever, however you take that sentence is completely on you. Um, but being something bigger than yourself, or being part of something bigger than yourself, is absolutely imperative. It's that sense of belonging. Um, and Matt and Monfalos talk about it all the time and all of the incredible um, or most incredible mental wellness organisations that I know of um, and that I've come across, they all talk about that sense of belonging and that sense of purpose. It's so important. I think there's five, there's five uh, basic, this is, I think this is William Gaza, there's five basic fundamental needs mm-hmm. that we have. It's one of them. The first one's power, belonging, freedom, fun, and I'm not going to get the fifth one. It's on the tip of my tongue. But there's, you might, do you know them? Um, uh, I don't know the fifth one. Oh, Is it flow? No, but that's really like, great word as well. So, oh, survival. Survival. So, the most important Yeah, we, we need survival. Um, yeah, so <laughs> they're the five needs. And, like, you've obviously very, and that's where that comes from, belonging. Like, you need to belong somewhere. And that's where... When people say they're alone and you spoke about it, you, you you lose that sense of belonging. So you just need to find what it is that you feel like you belong in. Exactly right. It's ingrained in us. It's it's a part of our makeup as human beings that need to belong. So it, it makes so much sense that in order to be well, you need to feel like you belong somewhere, yeah. wherever that may yeah. be, and to whatever that is 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 up to you and it, it's individual as we all are um but that sense of belonging is so important and that sense of purpose is so important to f- not only just coping but thriving and mm. living and managing more positively mental health and mental wellness so Yes, I am now studying my level two of root cause therapy. Um, I am proud to say I have opened a very small, very non-existent at the moment (laughs) business. Yes, what's that business called? (laughs) Thanks, COVID. It's called Meiraki Mind. So um, I got the name because Meiraki is to do something with soul or do something with purpose. Um, And that meaning always stuck out to me um to to do something like that because it's that's essentially in my existential crisis what i learned would give me the most um benefit to my mental health and my my sense of belonging and my sense of purpose was to help others um so it seemed only fitting to name my business after the reason why i'm even here in the first place um, so what what will so what yeah. will Meraki, if I was a client and I called you up and I said what what the fuck do you do? Um, I, I would I would never ring up someone and say what the fuck do you do? But what do you, what do you do? <laughs> Can you briefly explain it to me in a couple of minutes? What would you say? The first thing would be um, is that I would ask that person why they found me in the first yeah. place. So. Uh, I I offer two particular services that I combine into one overall service. Those two things are Reiki um, and root cause therapy. So Reiki being that spiritual light supportive healing um, and root cause therapy is a little bit more of what 
we're called shadow work. So working with um, negative emotions, limiting beliefs, um, and being able to process those limiting beliefs, that emotional baggage um, through the root cause of the reason why we feel that way um, to then process it, release it, learn from it and then be able to live a more peaceful and balanced life. So I like to use them both because root cause therapy can get, and I can attest to this because I've been through it myself, can get quite taxing and can get quite um, heavy sometimes. It's quite tough to bring up stuff that you either push down so much that you've forgotten about or just don't want to deal with and, again, can attest to that. Um, So I like to support my clients with Um, Reiki, which will just help balance them and balance their mental health and balance their physical state um, to be able to better manage um, whatever comes up for them. So I don't do them at the same time or anything like that. It will be um, I will cater a package. So I have set packages, but I will cater the package to the person. So I think that's really important as a um, someone who is a, let's call it a healing practitioner, um, to not have necessarily, because I have a multifaceted, um, I suppose, opportunity for clients, to not fit them into a box. Yeah, yeah. Because I was fit, I was I was tried to fit into a box for so long by psychologists and all of this kind of stuff and you know teachers and I was I was the good girl or I was this or I was that I was forced to be in a box my whole life and I don't want to ever make my clients feel like they have to fit somewhere so like back to my first point is I would ask them why they came to me in the first place so if it's you know a a mum needing support in dealing with whether it's postnatal depression or just support in trying to be a better person for um, their family and to better support their family and themselves um, I would cater something for them if it's um, you know a child, like the root cause therapy isn't as as, pl- as applicable, but I also practice Reiki on children. So I, I have um, one client who's trusted me enough to um, to share Reiki with her five-year-old son. So, um, and that's a really beautiful yeah. and powerful connection as well. I love yeah. that because um, children have a different way of, of, of looking at the world and of, of dealing with things and of processing emotions. So, um, you know, they're not scared. The, he, they're so no, they're, they're open not because they don't know. They're not scared of the unknown. Like as we get older, we are so fearful of what could happen. Whereas mm-hmm. kids, and I love watching my animals for this. They don't think about the next thing that's going to happen. They do what they're doing then and there. And then if they they just see something, they'll go do that. Which is, I think, is a beautiful experience. And something as adults we can learn to like. And I would love to see children in that space a lot more just I think that fills me up knowing that that's happening yeah yeah and I think you know we that's where it all stems from and if we go back to the start of the the podcast everything that I am today and everything that I experienced was from what I learned as a child the way that I coped through high school and through uni and all of that, the way I processed my emotions, I learned to do as a kid. And like we know through our root cause therapy studies, most of the stuff that we um, know and re- how we react to the world is learned in childhood or, you know, past lives if you believe in that. But um most of the limiting beliefs that we have stem from childhood or, or early adulthood. Yeah. Like it's it's very um, it's very uncommon to have limiting beliefs set later yeah, on. Yeah, it needs to be extremely extremely traumatic it, if it's that's the case. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So they affect everything. They affect the way we see and react to the world. 
Um, so I love of being able to and having the opportunity to support children um, in through Reiki and and talking about emotions and that's something that's one of my favorite things about Matt and Mindful Oz is he works tirelessly on his children's program and his school program. He constantly is um, trying to push in going to schools and especially primary schools. You know, the, the youngest suicide on record is um, I think four years old, three or four yeah, years old. scary. That is so scary. And kids these days are getting younger and younger and younger in the way where they, you know, girls about the way that they view their bodies or, um, you know, Matt's, Matt's first experience with suicide was at the age of 12, 12 years old. And one of his friends died by suicide. That, that's, it's so crazy to me that we're then saying, oh, no, they're too young to be able to deal with emotions. No, the they're prob- not. The they problem are not. is they're not they dealing with them. <laughs> exactly right. So they need to learn about them to be able to deal with them. So, um, yeah, I... And go- and going back to your story, learning that you're going to have poor emotions and that's okay. You're not a yeah. bad person. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Yes, you are not a bad person for having bad and negative emotions. It's a part of life. Emotions go up and they go down. You are not happy all the time. No one is and that's okay. That's important to know. That's okay. It's okay to have not so great times or mediocre times or even sad times. That's just a normal part of life. I think on the other side of things as well, you just brought up a good point. The person that says I'm sad all the time, they're not sad all the time. There is moments I bet they'll be no. they'll be slim and they'll be flickering and they'll pass by very quickly, but we all have that capacity. I won't say all, I won't assume, but I'll say most people would have the capacity to feel both sides of the spectrum. Um, even if it takes a little bit of training or education or awareness so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely so yeah I I will never um not help someone so if someone comes to me and um it's not in my areas of expertise or experience um because I think it's important for me anyway and the way that I conduct my business it's important to be able to um, have a, a, a practitioner or a support um, person that has lived experience. And it might not necessarily be a direct exact yeah. match, um, but I think it's important to be able to have someone to easily relate to. So, for example, for me, um, I've never experienced or really known someone who has experienced addiction issues. So if someone was to come to me and say that they needed support in that, I would probably reach out to a colleague who had more experience in addiction issues and introduce them, but not just the one. I would try and introduce one, at least two or three so that the person had the choice yeah. Um, if they weren't comfortable, then I would continue to help them and get support myself off that per, off that one person or two people who have ex- lived experience in addiction issues, for example. Um, so essentially, to wrap it up, what I do is I support people with um, any type of emotional baggage, mental health um, issue or limiting belief, and I assist them in supporting themselves and processing the emotions properly and safely to be able to live a happier and more balanced life. How would you, just that's perfect summarisation, what what would you describe as happy for those people listening? Because everyone wants happy but they don't know what it is. Can you answer that question for me? That is a very, very philosophical <laughs> question. What is happy? What is life? To be content. Um, to me, yeah, that is the exact word that came to my head when you said what is to, what is it to be happy? It's to be content. You know, being happy isn't 
I have this image of my mind of if anyone has seen um, Inside Out, Joy yes. from Inside Out. That's a great movie. Little yellow character. Yeah. Happy all the time and so excited for life. And that can be really, really exhausting mm. for some people. Um, and for me, I, I know that I, I don't want to be happy all the time because the not so great times are what make me appreciate the happy times tenfold. Um, for me, happiness is coming home from wherever I am, a walk or the shops or work or whatever, and my dogs going absolutely crazy beside themselves, can't wait to jump on me and so excited that I'm yeah. home. Um, happiness to me is thinking back to my wedding day and how surrounded um, we were with love and support and just beautiful warm wishes. Um, happiness to me is a beautiful sunrise, but it's it's about I don't I don't personally think that you can be truly happy. If you don't appreciate the little things, yeah. yeah, like a warm cup of coffee, or your dogs being so excited when you get home from five minutes yeah. from putting out the yeah, pins, five minutes or five or, minutes or five days, they're always the same. And, exactly and that's, right. Exactly. They're the right. lessons that I love learning from animals because they're obviously they have different mm. brain structures, and I'm learning about that now, and it's really cool and interesting. But they. We've got to learn. We can actually process that. So let's process it and use it as information for ourselves. That, like, my dogs have literally been trying to get outside the whole time we've been recording, and they they don't get that they can't open the door, but they just want to be here. That's and it's just they're not they're not worried about when dinner is. They probably are their dogs. They do care about food, but they're not worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. They're they're just in the present moment. And whatever the present moment calls for, they do. If it's sitting in the sun, they do it. If it's sleeping, they do it. If it's human, they do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about appreciating the little things and it's about being present. And I don't think you can be one without the other. I don't think you can be present without appreciating the little things and I don't think you can appreciate those little things without being present. Bang on. I reckon we wrap it up with that final Final words of wisdom <laughs> with Jamie. How do you how do you think we wrap we wrap that up there? And we'll um, yeah, absolutely. We'll thank the audience. If you uh, get something out of this podcast, um, feel free to share it, subscribe. Um, also, if you want to reach out to Jamie, I'll put all of her links in the show notes. Want to just ask her any questions? I'm sure she she'll be willing to answer it or point you in the right direction as she so. Um, elegantly put. Thank you, Jamie, for an amazing chat. It will go down as my longest, um, but I <laughs> I do love talking about this stuff and we went off on a couple of tangents, which is great fun. But um, thank, thank you for joining us. And if there's any final words you want to say, go for it. Uh, no, just, well, thank you, firstly, for the opportunity. Um, I think it's a really beautiful thing what you're doing and these kind of podcasts are so um, so awesome and so important to be able to um, have a platform created by other people to share my story. Um, I will always be grateful for that. So, um, you know, people like yourself and, and Ryan and and for me most um significantly from mindful oz and matt um it's it's a really awesome thing and i will be forever grateful for any time that i get to talk <laughs> about um not myself in, in yeah. particular but my story yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and, and the way that i have um have conquered my demons and, and and battled through um because it means that i'm getting the word out there about mental illness um and the most important thing for me that I just want to get out there, if you are struggling, please feel free to reach out to me. My inbox is always open um, and I can help you uh, work through whatever you're working through or 
create ways in which you can reach out for help um, for those you care about. And if on the flip side, if you know someone who is struggling and you just don't know what to say um, and you have more questions, then please feel free to reach out to me. I ask you to reach out to me um, and I will help you work through that and be able to support you in whatever um, answers you get. Um, and thank you for spending a few hours of your life with me. All that. <laughs> and listening we'll, we'll to break, me. We'll break it up for the listeners. Um, for Yeah, one hour. We'll be going to one hour slots, but there's so much gold in there and I hope everyone gets something out of it. I know I learned a lot in there as well um, and I'm excited to can share this in the future. People will be listening to this going, it's already shared, so you sound like an idiot. Thank you, Jamie. I will press stop now. Thanks, listeners. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13-1144. For any further information, or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T dot com dot A-U.